Welcome to episode 57 of the Daniel Yours podcast. Today, I'm answering your questions. Let's go. Hello, hello. Thank you for listening today. I appreciate you being here. Welcome to the first ever Q&A episode of the podcast. Now, if you've been a regular listener, you understand my battles and internal struggle with the word influencer. But I think that doing this Q&A episode is maybe pandering to that. It feels very influencer-ish, but I think it's good. Uh, the reason that I wanted to do it was just to get some feedback. You know, I can sit here and talk about things that I think are important and, and that I think that should be shared all day long. But I think it's also good just to get some feedback from you, the listener, to understand what you're struggling with and what questions you might want answered in a podcast style episode. Now, what I did is just put this out on my social media. And if you're not following me on social media, please go ahead and, and do so so we can, you know, connect and, and be together for these things going forward at Daniel Yours Everywhere. Um, and so I just asked, Hey, doing a podcast episode, Q and a drop me your questions. That's all pretty, pretty simple. This is something that I think I'll want to do once a month or once every two months, maybe, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it, how it plays out. Um, in the future, if you do have questions, you know, send me them anytime. Don't wait for me to, you know, put out a Q and a question box type of thing. Let me know anytime and I'll work it into an episode in the future or whatever. So we can just you know continue with that and don't don't wait for for things to happen when you have questions just let them go. Um, so I want to just kind of get right into it. I think that's enough rambling already because uh, we can make this go a lot longer than it has to be. So first question: How and why did I get into fitness and what's my why? And sorry, before I even answer that, just thank you to to those who did ask questions and those who participated and those who have you know continued to support the podcast in all ways for for the entire time that this has been going so thank you right off the bat so again that first question how or why did i get into fitness and what's my why now <laughs> i wrote all these questions down of course and just made a couple notes on some of them uh the only note that i wrote for this was keep it short because i can ramble a whole b- bunch on this now i do have an entire episode kind of outlining these two things episode 1 of the podcast and episode 8 where i kind of outlined more stuff about my knee injuries and knee surgery and recovery from all that kind of goes into a little bit more depth, but uh, let's get into it. So how and why did I get into fitness? As a kid, played lots of sports, was super active. My main sport that I played and excelled in was soccer. I spent a lot of time getting injured and on the sidelines, many knee injuries and anything else you can think of more or less. And through those injuries, I spent a lot of time in and out of physio clinics, athletic therapy clinics, Cairo, you know, all that kind of stuff and getting injured and learning about the body, learning about my own body through that. And so that developed into a curiosity about about the human body and performance in general and why does it break and how can we make it not break? How can we make it perform better? How can we you know, live life better through fitness and all that kind of stuff? And so that was sort of the introduction as to like how I got involved or interested in the human body where it changed into fitness was when I went to chiropractic school and, and dropped out and I should probably do a longer story on that, but a story for another day where I learned or where I realized for myself that I wanted to be more on the fitness side of things than on the rehab side of things. Now, they are very, very highly related or closely related and there's tons of overlap and we need to work together and all that stuff, but I thought that I was uh, most interested in the everyday stuff in in terms of fitness and improving lives through that as opposed to being on the other side of it on the rehab and and fixing problems side of things another 
important thing that led to this was my history with my knee injuries and the surgeries and or the surgery. There's only one that uh, that I learned a lot through. And so again, that one was episode eight, where I went into a lot more detail about about all these kind of, kind of things. But one huge, huge thing that I realized through that, and this leads into more of my why, is that through that surgery, I was unable to put weight on my left leg for about not about if it was exactly 13 weeks and you know I couldn't really walk I couldn't bend my leg I you know I could do basically nothing but sit down and so you know through that surgery I lost the ability to move and so that really kind of set something off in me where I was like well I never I never want this to happen again to myself and to others and you know the surgery was a was for a purpose and, and you know I made the choice to do that and blah 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 all those things but losing that ability to to move for a little bit really kind of put the ability to move in perspective for me. And it's not something that I ever want to go through again. And so I strongly believe in the the quote by Ido Portal, where he says that the best reason to move is simply because we can. So not, so go, having gone through that period of time where I was unable to move, um, really just forced me to assess how precious it is to be able to move and that I might not, there, there may be a day where I may not be able to do it. So I want to do it while I can. And I want to do it to the greatest extent that I can while I'm doing it. There was tons of stuff that I missed that whole summer, just like social stuff and whatever, because I was unable to move and unable to just freely do things. And I don't want that to ever happen again in my life for things that are within my control. Um, so, so that's my why. And I know that it's difficult and, and, to do all of these things and all of the fitness stuff and whatever. And so I really want to pass it on to others. I also started coaching, like coaching soccer to young, really young kids, like three and four year olds and and a little bit older after that. Um, And so I just loved teaching and kind of giving back to people and sharing what I knew through that. And I've had some other experiences that have been quite profound to me. I think that's a good word to use profound uh, to to help me understand that sharing is the most or one of the most important things that we can do. So whatever we know, whatever we've learned, we need to be able to, to share that with others. And so the things that I've learned and the things that I know is this fitness and health and taking care of our body. And so that's my why is to be able to give back and help improve the lives of others through the thing that I know. I am of course biased that I think that fitness is far and away one of the most important things that we can do. I think it's hard to argue that it's one of the most important. It's definitely up there. And it's my way of, of, again, giving back to the world and to be able to improve lives through fitness. Of course, there's a whole other, a whole host of uh, aspects to all of this, but I think that the fitness component is a very large part of that and that's what I can give. And so that's what I want to give and that's my, that's my why. But again, those other episodes have a little bit more detail, but essentially it's because I got interested in the human body through my own personal experiences and troubles with it got a desire to learn how to improve it, and then gained a desire to teach others and share everything that I've learned. That's how I got into fitness, and that's my why. Second question. This was from, this one is from a little bit of a, it was a conversation that was taken uh, to be a joke. and, And so she said to me that, 
if she was getting me any fitness advice, it would be, she's another, a fellow coach, by the way. And she said, you know, to be slightly neurotic with an addictive personality and become addicted to the lifestyle. And I said, oh yeah, that's a pretty good way to put it. And then she said, I was just joking, but I mean, if you can sell people on being neurotic, then, then go for it. And I said, okay, let me try and (laughs) let me try and wean this one in. So while I don't think that any extremes in anything are useful, if you haven't realized that, uh, yet, um, again, I wanted to try and justify this. So being neurotic is not, you know, if you're totally neurotic about everything that you do, of course, that's going to have its downfalls. Everything has its pros and cons, but, you know, too extreme, not going to be good. I do think that being analytic and wanting to reduce negative outcomes of things is a good thing to have, is a good quality to have, again, within limits. So if you can analyze what you're doing, analyze your speech or or not your speech. Why would I say that doesn't make any sense? Analyze your actions, (laughs) analyze your actions, analyze the food that you're eating, analyze the the day-to-day things, analyze your workouts. These kind of things matter. Now you don't have to overly do it. It doesn't have to become your entire life, but I think it's a big important thing that we all, we, we all should do. I often speak about being self-aware of what we're doing and how awareness is really the first key when we talk about how much we're eating you know we should be aware of how much we're actually eating aware of what type of exercise we're doing and when we become aware of what we're actually doing as opposed to what we think we're doing oftentimes the answers are right there in front of us and it's like okay now i can just fix these things because i'm actually aware of it so we've talked about it before but just keeping a food log eat everything or write down everything that you eat in a week and look at it and say, okay, where can I make changes? Oh, I eat so healthy. I eat super healthy. Do you like, let's see, let's see. So I think that, I think that that's where the slightly neurotic behavior can be beneficial, but you know, going into anything that's overly extreme is almost never going to be good. As for the addictive personality and addicted to the lifestyle, it doesn't have to become your total life obsession. I think that living this lifestyle, and I've said this before, I'm kind of done using the term healthy lifestyle. Like I think it's a silly term. It's just lifestyle. People who are not living the quote unquote healthy lifestyle are those people are in the wrong. If you're eating junk, you know, not taking care of your body, that's the wrong. Those people are weird. If you're exercising, eating good food, sleeping at night, doing all the healthy things, that's a normal human behavior. And so we should just treat it as such. You don't have to become addicted to it, um, but having an amount of, not obsession, that's still too strong of a word, but an amount of commitment that is going to lead to results, I think that that is extremely valuable. If you're not committed to it, you know, nothing's going to happen. It's just going to fly by the wayside. So slight neuroticism and slight amount of addicted personality within control can be beneficial. So I hope that <laughs> I hope that that did a justifi- uh, justification good enough uh, to to work that into the podcast. The third question. This was a good one. Tips to stay healthy when time is limited. So a lot of us have limited time to do things, and that can be in any walk of life, whether it's your kids, your job, your friends, your you know your social life, anything. It is. There's I can't remember the name of the principle, but it's like. A job or a task will take the amount of time that is allotted to it. If you give yourself eight hours to complete a job, it's going to take you eight hours. If you gave yourself two hours to that job, you could probably finish it in two hours type of thing. So the first thing, and this is kind of going back to what we were just talking about, 
my first tip to kind of stay healthy when time is limited is to truly evaluate how you're using your time and understand if and where you're wasting time doing things and if some of that time could be better used. Are you taking too long to do tasks that could be done sooner? Are you wasting time on social media? Are you wasting time traveling? Do you have time where it feels like dead time that could be productive? For example, if you ride the subway, ride the bus, you're in Ubers, that kind of stuff, can you be answering emails while you're doing that instead of sitting there listening to music or playing games on your phone? These kind of things. And this is kind of low-hanging fruit as well. And I think that that is an important part of this. So evaluate how you're using your time and see what you can change and improve with that. That is the the first and most obvious and easiest thing to do. The next thing is this, and I've always been a big proponent of this, is using what I call movement snacks. So for those of us who have trouble finding time to get exercise through the day, a movement snack is a very small amount of movement or that, that doesn't constitute as an actual workout. For example, Every hour that you're working, you work for eight hours a day, you sit at a desk. Every hour that you're working, set a timer on your phone and do 10 squats every hour. Now, is doing 10 bodyweight squats going to be some crazy workout that you're going to get, you know, big strong legs and the fat burning effect and whatever other nonsense you want to talk about? No. But is it better than zero? Absolutely. So that would be a good one. You know, 10 squats every hour, 10 pushups every time you check social media, Uh, 10-minute walks after meals is another really good one. Set any, pick any exercise you want, and you can do this. And the way that I've kind of advised some people to do it in the past is pick one a day. So Monday is squats, Tuesday is push-ups, Wednesday is hip thrust, Thursday is uh, you know a stretch, whatever it is. Pick pick a few exercises that you can do at home or easily at your desk, or that doesn't require like a warm up and to get all sweaty and all these things, and accumulate 100 or 200 reps of that throughout the day. I think that that is a very good way to sneak some movement into your day, and that's why we call it a movement snack because it's not disruptive. 10-minute walks after meals are also great. 10-minute walk isn't a large amount of time, and literally set a timer on your phone and make it 10 minutes, no more no more than that. And make it eight minutes, like it doesn't matter. There's nothing magic about 10 minutes. It's just that it's a small enough amount of time that you can probably commit to. It doesn't have to be outside in the cold, although I'm you know definitely a proponent of going outside if you can, but if that is is cumbersome to you, then do laps around your house. If you live in a building, walk up and down a couple flights of stairs. Move somehow for 10 minutes after meals. Again, 10 minutes, you eat three times a day, four times a day. That's 30, 40 minutes of walking right there. And you'll find that that is you know, a very achievable amount of movement. The last tip I'd say is to, and this goes hand in hand with evaluating how you're using your time, but think about the barriers you have to being healthy or to movement and try to limit those. Some of these things might be this. If you find that it's very hard to eat healthy, to cook, and and you don't have the time to cook meals and prepare meals and grocery shop, consider using a meal delivery service. And there are plenty of healthy ones out there. That doesn't mean order Uber Eats and order junk. And you can do that, but but it's still making decisions. And when you're rushed and you're just trying to order something, you're going to get the thing that's going to come fastest to you. So that most of the time it's going to end up not being the best option. There are plenty of meal delivery services that are, you know, fitness related that can 
you know, have healthy foods and the meals come prepared and you just have to warm them up or heat them up or do some very basic cooking or something like that. So consider doing one of those things if, if food is it. For gyms, um, pick the gym that's closest to you. I know that, you know, I'm someone who's a little bit more picky about specific equipment that's in gyms and things like that. Uh, but if again, that the travel time to the gym is the barrier to you, that it just takes too long, pick a gym that's closer to you or that somehow takes you less time to go to consider doing shorter workouts. Your workouts don't have to be an hour or 75 minutes or an hour and a half. Go to the gym and do a 30 minute workout. If that's your thing, limiting those barriers is the biggest thing. And another one is buy gym equipment at home. If you buy enough equipment at home and by equipment, I don't mean like, you know, one band and, and, and a booty band and a 15 pound dumbbell from 1982, like buy some equipment, invest in it. And again, you're limiting, you're limiting time, you're limiting barrier to get changed and put on a fancy outfit and go to the gym and drive and traffic and parking and all these things limit barriers to what is preventing you from doing the things that you need to do to be healthy. Next question here. This was a very interesting one. The question is this. Mental health cue. How do you ease into a clean bulk if you are afraid of gaining fat? So first off, we need to define, for, for those who may not know, what a lean bulk is. So bulking is when you're in a, eating in a caloric surplus, eating a little bit more than you would normally in an effort to gain muscle size. Now, what a lean bulk refers to is where you eat just a little bit more than your maintenance amount of calories so that you're minimizing fat gain during the bulking period. This is opposite to what's known as a dirty bulk, which is more similar to what I did, if you remember from a couple episodes back where I talked about my you know six months of bulking up, where I did end up gaining a lot of body fat. That would be considered more of a dirty bulk where I wasn't concerned or wasn't in any way trying to limit the amount of body fat gained. So lean bulk, eating caloric surplus in order in an effort to gain muscle while limiting or minimizing fat gain. So th- this is a tough one because the very first thing that comes to mind when I hear this is that if you're going to be afraid of gaining fat, you really have to ask yourself the question of whether it's worth going through a bulk or not. Now, even if you do a lean bulk, you are more likely than not going to gain a little bit of body fat. And you you must be able to accept this. And I would say that if you don't accept this, if you can't accept the fact that you might gain a little bit, and we're not talking like 20, 30, 40 pounds here. We're talking like a couple of pounds if you're doing the lean bulk correctly. If you can't accept that you might gain a little bit of body fat, then it's probably not a good idea to do the bulk. You better off just stay at maintenance and keep training hard there. Some more tangible advice, though, is to start very small. Even 200 calories of a surplus has been shown to be enough to gain muscle mass for people who are not extremely experienced. If you're much more experienced, you're like 10, 15 years into the gym, that might not be enough of a stimulus. But if you're less than that, that will probably be enough to bulk up a little bit. Now, bulking is never a fast process. You're not gaining pounds of muscle a week. We're talking grams of muscle a month, maybe. So 
it's going to be a slow process no matter what. But you can do it very slowly and that's okay. But again, you've got to accept the fact that it's going to happen very slowly. We can't have everything. So if we want to maximize muscle gain, we're also going to sacrifice gaining fat as well. If we want to gain a little bit of muscle but minimize fat gain, then we're going to have to make that a little bit slower. Another tip I think would be to have a plan to lean back out in place before you start the bulk. If you say that, okay, I'm going to go on this lean bulk, I'm going to do this for six months, eight months, a year, whatever it's going to be, already in your mind, think about what's going to happen when that bulk is done and you want to lean back out. Having a plan and, and, a, and a method to get back to where you want to be is going to take some weight off your shoulders, I, I believe, in in being in accepting what's going to happen because you know that you're totally in control of what's going to happen and it's not just going to happen by accident and there is a plan for everything. Things are happening on your terms. So again, having a plan will always be will always be better, but think about this ahead of time. Another thing that I think is important to mention here is to shift the focus of your bulking from body changes to numbers going up in the gym. And that might be a little bit strange because the purpose of bulking is literally to increase your muscle mass, which is generally driven by an aesthetic motivation, which is totally fine. But if you can disassociate from the small amount of fat that you're going to be gaining and be more proud of the amount of weight that you're lifting and amount of reps and all the gains that you're making in the gym, like on paper with your workouts, I think that placing more value on those gym on your gym performance is going to help offset some of the perhaps negative uh, emotions and feelings related to the small increase of fat gain that you're going to have while lean bulking. So focusing on that will likely help as well. Another thing is this, and, and I think this is probably the last and maybe the most important one, is that you can still gain muscle while eating at maintenance calories. This is not impossible. It's slower and more difficult, but it's certainly possible, again, less possible, less drastic for more experienced lifters, but it's still possible. So the point of me saying this is that maybe you don't, if you're really that worried about lean bulking, Maybe just don't do the lean bulk and stay at your maintenance calories and use workouts that are designed to drive hypertrophy anyways. And the muscle gain will be slower, but it will still happen and there will be even less increase of body fat and there will probably be no increase of body fat realistically if you're eating at that maintenance calories, keeping your protein high and all those kind of things. So this really comes down to just having a plan accepting what's going to happen and if not then change the plan if yes then go ahead and do it and don't focus too much on the bad parts of it have a plan in place to change things and manipulate things the way you want to and as well fall in love with the training fall in love with the gym fall in love with the progress that you're making and everything else will sort of dampen and feel less important to you and you'll appreciate the gains that you're making better. So I hope that that kind of clears that up. I think that, I think this is a good question and a more difficult one. Of course, anything with like our own psychological beliefs 
about ourselves is is very very individual and a difficult thing to kind of blanket statement for everyone and there's a lot of you know individual insecurities and past experiences that will lead to how each one of us approaches this but i think that all the things that i just mentioned could uh, generally apply to to most of us here moving on the next question here so this was a, a long-winded one but i kind of just broke it down to <laughs> to make it a little bit shorter so a uh, woman ripped her first callus while working out. So the calluses on your hands, how to avoid this? Is it about just shaving them down and moisturizing? I don't want to wear gloves, how to avoid ripping my hands. So personally, I'm not uh, probably the best person to answer this question because I've never really cared about the calluses on my hands. Uh, of course, I have them and you know they're just a part of working out. I've never met a strong person in my life who didn't have calluses. So wear them, wear them like a badge of honor. They're not something to be ashamed of. They're not gross. They're not you know whatever. They're just part of. They're just part of who we are. So I've I've never really dealt with them myself. I've ripped a couple. You know, of course, here and there it doesn't happen very often, um, and not something that I, I generally think about really ever. However, this person who asked me the question, she does a little bit more CrossFit style workouts. And so in CrossFit and Olympic lifting, those types of workouts tend to lead to larger calluses and ripping calluses. It's just, it's just way more common based on those type of lifts. Now, when you rip the callus, it, it, one, it's painful there and two, there's blood everywhere. It's a mess. And then, you know, you'll have to like wear band-aids and tape and stuff over your hand. And so it just, it causes some problems. So it's not, it's not cool to, to rip the calluses. Like that's not a good thing. So anyways, how to take care of them. Um, there is a tool that's called a, a ped egg and I don't think it's like a fitness tool. I think it's literally like a manicure pedicure <laughs> style tool. And it, it's essentially like a, an oval shaped rock that's like a little bit rough on one side and basically like sandpaper you kind of just scrape them down a little bit and you would you know and then you should apply a moisturizer to your hands after that to to keep the calluses at bay now it's very important to, to note here that you don't want to if you're lifting seriously and you know the calluses have built up there you don't want to shave the calluses down all the way to the point where the skin is like you know baby bum smooth because then it's just going to be raw and you're going it's going to be painful when you go to rip the or, or hold the barbell or do pull-ups or whatever it is again the calluses develop as a way to protect your hands they're there for a reason based on the activities that you're doing so you don't want to get rid of them completely you do want to just kind of shave them down so that they don't rip when they get very large and you can kind of feel them as a very big bump and you can kind of start picking them that's the point where they're getting a little bit uh too large and they will rip. So you want to kind of shave those down and, and kind of keep that at bay if you're doing those kind of workouts. As far as the gloves, I'm not a fan of wearing workout gloves. Um, I don't wear them myself. I don't have any clients. I don't think that wear them. Uh, maybe some maybe some online clients, but, but I, I'm not really a fan of them and I generally advise against them. I think in my experience, they are more slippery than using just your hands and just a little bit of chalk you're still going to get calluses with wearing gloves because the callus kind of comes, it comes from gripping on things, but it also comes from the skin getting pinched. And so when the glove slips, your skin still pinches underneath and it's still going to cause a callus. So I don't know that the gloves really do a whole, a, a good job. I think that there's more drawbacks of them than benefits. And that's not even including the fact that you know, you'll look a little bit cooler if you're not wearing gloves, but we won't, we won't judge too hard on that. 
So, so that's, that's really, that's the best I can, I could do on that. If any, uh, you know, CrossFit people who are listening, or if you do more Olympic lifting and stuff like that, there are certainly more advanced, like, uh, grip things that they wear and tape in certain positions on their hand to help with these kind of blisters and, and ripping of the skin. Um, not the best person. If you, if you are that person, let me know. And I'm happy to kind of share that, uh, on a future episode or whatever, uh, or with the person who asked this question, but that's the best thing. Just got to take care just kind of shave them down, take care of your hands with a little bit of moisturizer. And that's that. Getting into the last question here. Oh, I'm actually doing pretty good on time. You know, I thought this was going to, I was going to ramble a lot longer, but we're doing pretty well here. Four cups of coffee. Is it bad for you? And if so, what's a good way to negate any negative effects? If four cups of coffee is really bad for you, I'm fucked. <laughs> you know, if you follow me on Instagram that I love my coffee, have coffee every day. I probably average about three cups of coffee a day. On occasion, it will be more. On occasion, it will be less, but I'd say about three for me. So to break this down, the average cup of coffee has in around 100 milligrams of caffeine. Of course, this widely varies if you have a massive cup of coffee or if you have the you know, extra large coffee from your favorite takeout place, or I actually found this out recently and I, and I was shocked to find this out. But when you order like certain drinks at Starbucks or, or those kind of places, like a regular Americano would be my kind of go-to drink. And if it's a bigger size, they put extra shots of espresso in there. So like the, the large size, whatever it's called at Starbucks is like three shots of espresso. And that's just way too many. So anyways, I, I learned that recently and I was shocked. I don't know if anyone else <laughs> didn't know that, but I think it's an important thing to know if you're ordering coffee out. Anyways, the average cup of coffee has in and around hundred milligrams of caffeine. Four cups would be at about, would, be, would end up somewhere in and around 400 milligrams of caffeine. And this is right around the upper limit of generally what's considered for, you know, safe daily consumption. Now, it's important to note here that if you're taking any pre-workout, any other supplements, drinking Coca-Cola and soft drinks, which, you know, I'm not a fan of anyways, those things also have caffeine in it. So if you're not a coffee drinker, but you're consuming a large amount of caffeine, that's, this is still a problem. It's not just about coffee. Some of these energy drinks have like 300 milligrams of caffeine in them, which is a lot for one drink that's taken really quickly. So pay attention to all intakes of caffeine. Personally, I think having four cups of coffee in a day is fine so long as you have a normal blood pressure, you have a normal heart rate. Normal blood pressure is in and around 120 over 80. Normal heart rate somewhere around 60-ish, I think. Maybe a little bit higher would be would be okay. Um, if you don't drink coffee late in the afternoon such that it affects your sleep, I think that that's also fine. And if coffee doesn't upset your stomach too much, if you find that you have to go to the bathroom every single time immediately after you have a coffee or you just have general upset stomach digestion issues after intaking caffeine, then you're probably doing, you're probably taking too much and should probably lower that amount. So the short answer is, I think it's okay. I don't think that four cups of coffee is bad for you. Um, I would, I would say, and this is just my opinion that I think that four cups of coffee, if that's your average is probably a little on the high side to be your normal because you become desensitized to it and you're going to need that much all the time. So then four cups of coffee is just getting you up to normal. If there's ever days where you need a you need a boost or you need a little bit of a kick, now you're getting into having five coffees, six coffees a day just to get up a little bit more 
And that's kind of a lot. So I think having a little bit less, two, two and a half, three, is a little bit more of a sweet spot where you can have that that fourth one or that fifth one on a day where you really need it to to put you up into into overdrive to kind of utilize that extra caffeine that you're intaking. As far as ways to negate the effects of caffeine, nothing that I've ever heard of, um, nothing that I've ever seen, nothing that I've ever tried works. You should be drinking plenty of water. You should be drinking plenty of water anyways. Coffee doesn't necessarily dehydrate you. That's a little bit a little bit of a myth. Obviously, coffee has water in it. So, you know, there's still some <laughs> hydration happening, but you should be drinking water and not just drinking coffee, obviously. I say obviously, but it's probably not that obvious. So, I mean, drink lots of water. I would also avoid drinking too much coffee on an empty stomach. Take it in with some food. That way, you know, some of the food is absorbing some of it, slow the release of the caffeine and the effects and all that kind of stuff. So, avoid drinking on an empty stomach. And also prioritize your sleep so you don't feel like a zombie all the time and feel like you need the coffee. So those are the best things I think you can do to sort of negate it. And that's not even the right word to use because you're not negating the effects of the caffeine. You're just sort of managing what's happening and giving giving your body the optimal conditions to to handle that level of caffeine. And it's important to note, I, I keep using the word caffeine instead of coffee, and it's because that's the way that we should think about it. Coffee in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with coffee. Coffee has like plenty of benefits of it. The The downside of it is the, 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 the upside and the downside is the caffeine that's in it. But you can get caffeine from other places. If you're having caffeine pills and you're having too much of those, also a problem. If you're having energy drinks and pre-workout and uh, Coca-Cola and all those kind of things that are whatever other foods are filled with caffeine, that's also a problem. So think about your daily caffeine intake rather than just your coffee intake if you're having other sources of caffeine. If not, then just, you know, obviously just count your coffee. But um, I wouldn't worry too much about having four cups of coffee. It's probably fine so long as it's not affecting you in any negative way that you can tell. Um, I just wouldn't want to get too dependent on it. So for that reason, I would probably try and lower it a little bit so that you can use it as a tool rather than using it as just a way to get up to normal. Having said that, again, I'm not perfect. I've never claimed to be, I'll have, uh, today I had four coffees, for example. I don't think it's a problem. I don't do this every day. Some days it's two, some days it's usually it's about three. Um, that's what I like. That feels good to me. I don't have, I don't drink soft drinks and all that stuff. I never have energy drinks or pre-workouts or, or those kind of things. So that's my only caffeine intake. Um, and that's that. So yeah, I think four cups is fine. Uh, just don't overdo it. And that brings us to the end of this first ever Q&A episode uh, thank you very much to, to again to those who answered questions. If you have questions for the future, again, feel free to let me know at any time. I'll probably do this. You know, let me know what you th- think about this episode. Of course, give me your feedback, and I'll sort of be able to gauge how or how regularly to do these episodes as we accumulate questions and, and all that kind of stuff. And and I'll just base things on your feedback. Um, that's it. If you, <laughs> the best place to, to, I'm just thinking if there's anything else that I missed that I had to say, but I don't think I had to say anything else to, to reach out to me, to answer questions at Daniel Yoris on Instagram and Twitter. Probably those are the, the two best places. Um, this episode is coming out February 18th. I'm going to have my website up soon and there'll be contact info through there. So you can reach me through there directly by email. Um, yeah, 
that's about it. <laughs> I appreciate you for listening. Thank you very much. If you appreciate this, give me some feedback. Let me know how you're liking it. Share this episode with a friend. Rate and review on iTunes, on Spotify, all those good things. And that's that. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Chat soon.